it's hard to say if it was like the right or the wrong decision to leave because I don't know if there are right or wrong decisions but one thing that's really interesting is just looking at photos of myself from the week before I left and the week after I left that job my eyes were so much brighter and I just looked so much more alive and so I think you know going back to live life fully that's a good marker of that being done. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle show where we interview very very cool entrepreneurs, coaches, investors, thought leaders, authors, content creators, and other fascinating subject matter experts. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Phelan Sugarman Lash. Phelan is a professional life coach and recently just published his first book, Why Live? The Beautiful and Painful Mess of Learning to Love Life. In this conversation, we discuss all the main takeaways from the book. I read it uh, the weeks leading up to this conversation. Very, very much enjoyed it. Had a ton of questions I wanted to work through with Phelan. So we kind of just went through all the ideas I liked best that I discussed with Kyle in the interview and research process. Uh, we also discussed Phelan's go-to life coaching ideas, what he does with his clients to you know improve their lives. We discussed his book writing process, his backstory, and a whole lot more. Phelan's son I've been friends with for about two years. So when I bounce off my life ideas every couple of months, he's extremely helpful. He's very wise, has a very calm presence. And I know you're going to enjoy and learn a lot from this conversation. So I'm going to switch over to it right now. Phelan, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Very excited to be recording a podcast after a long time of talking about doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, met you a little over two years ago, or not over, roughly two years ago. And, you know, ever since we met, you had had the goal publicly of writing a book. And now that it's out, I'm like, well, that's a perfect time to, first of all, read the book myself and bring you on the show to talk about it. And, you know, everything else you've been up to for that period of time. So congrats on publishing the book and uh, really excited to be chatting. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, really exciting and weird to publish a book, especially a memoir. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, and I'd say you earned the memoir title, right? I think a lot of people just, you know, memoir is a fancy term for like highlight reel, right? It's just like, I don't know why I'm thinking of Shaq, for example, here, but it's just like, I did this cool thing, then this other cool thing, and this other cool thing, hopefully you learned something at the end. Right, like yours is very hmm. personal and highs and lows and like raw. So I would highly recommend everyone checks it out and hope you'll, you'll you'll be the persuasive one. Not that you're gonna sell, just like you telling your story will motivate <laughs> other people to continue to want more details of the story that they can't quite get in this this hour. But I want to start with some of the context for how we met and kind of some of the backstory. So when Kyle and I started this podcast, we did an episode about books and it was either that episode or kind of the context before that got Kyle to convince me to finally read The Third Door, which we both really, really loved after reading and really did inform a lot of our strategy, mindset, motivation for doing this podcast. And that's also the same book that kind of set you on the path towards intersecting our path and us meeting. So at what point were you in your life when you read The Third Door? Why did you read it? And kind of what followed from there Mm -hmm. that led us to both kind of intersecting? Yeah, sure. So I started reading The Third Door when I was in college, and I had two really close entrepreneurial friends of mine who had both like really had high levels of success and were the same age as me. And I looked at them and was like, how did you do that? And they both pointed at The Third Door and were like, read this book. And they had been doing the whole cold email thing for a while before that, but reading that book really set it in stone for them how powerful that is. So I read the book actually on the plane going to Ghana to do a fellowship. And um, it was just really immediately impactful 
and inspiring to see that anyone from any background really can create this kind of insane life just by reaching out to people and asking for help and doing it, you know, willing to fail and doing it, but persevering through the small failures to get the big win. How and quickly then, oh, did did you read the book? Is is, is an important uh, piece of the question. One, Kyle and I are keeping sitting. track. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> like four or five hours. Yeah. That's uh. I don't. I don't know if we're batting a thousand anymore, but we're we're still very close to a hundred percent consistency. I think we're a hundred percent under four sessions, which is very high for any book of like all the people we've asked that question to, uh, with probably still eighty mm. percent of them being just one single sit- sitting. So. Very powerful, yeah. very powerful storytelling and writing in that book. And that's a whole other conversation on like how he wrote the book such that it could be read in one, like such that it caused so many people to read it in one sitting. That's that's a whole separate conversation. Uh, but you're going to get into mm-hmm. the reading the book, following Alex on socials, ending up in like yes. the mentorship sessions. Right. So yeah, basically Alex Benign, the author, had these mentorship sessions that he did and he just invited anyone to come and he would tell us stories or bring in guest speakers. And that's where I first met Lewis. And then Lewis uh, invited me to talk to Kyle and both of them like September of 2020, which was just before I started writing my book a few months before and um, a long time ago, (laughs) different, different life then almost. So yeah, that's how we met. And it's been a really beautiful uh, time since, and you should definitely get Alex on the show. We agree with that. We just haven't had any reason to, uh, to not reach out. We just haven't. That's like the, uh, the full story there. So why for a really long time have you wanted to write a book? Why has that been like a big life? Yeah. Great question. You know, I think that this comes down to more of the way that I approach life in general, which is really intuitively and, um, and also just experientially. So some people have goals that they set because it's what society tells them they should do, right? Like, I want to make this amount of money or I want to have this title or something. And for me, that never really resonated because I found that it led me to live a life that wasn't really authentic for me. Whereas this book thing just kind of hit me when I was a freshman or sophomore year in college as something that I just really knew that I would want to do and wanted to do eventually. I didn't go to school for writing. I went to school for business. and But writing has always been this this thing that I've just done almost as a tool for processing. And I also love books, right? So the biggest transformations that I've had in my life all come from reading books. So Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, The Third Door, Steve Jobs' biography, Old Path White Clouds by Thich Nhat Hanh. There's just a, a long, long list of books that are really special for me. Yeah, I uh, think a lot of listeners of the podcast, there's like a lot of overlap in terms of like, you know, common characteristics of podcast listeners. And I think that having books be like very, very influential. I don't know if it just same reason that people like listen to conversations, right? A book is just like a more deliberate, not solo, but like private conversation. It's deliberate. It's just edited, right? It's kind of like in longer. So what mm-hmm. is the main takeaway you want people to have from reading your book? I know it's probably might be more than one thing. So you're not limited to one if you choose to answer that way. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this before the call, and it's both nuanced and not nuanced. It's really simple and also complicated, which is, to me, just to live your life fully, which is different for everyone. So the book title is Why Live? And uh, that's pretty intense as a question. And, And the subtitle is The Beautiful and Painful Mess of Learning to Love Life. And... 
you know, the intersection of beauty and pain and the multiplication of beauty and pain is, is the fullness of life because we do experience pain and we also experience beauty and it's always messy. And at any given moment, we have the choice to say, I can choose to love this moment or I can choose to avoid this moment, basically. And to live a full life means in every moment we can choose, we choose to love the moment that's happening regardless of what's happening. So for everyone who is listening, you know, I would just say live a full life, meaning accept what's happening to you and then move from there as opposed to trying to create some life that's not really real. Yeah, I think a really illustrative yeah, example for a, the book. Um... What'd you say, Liz? Go for it, Kyle. What were you going to say, I was going to say a really illustrative example of that from the book is kind of your maturing thoughts on the concept of depression over the over the course of the book. Uh, would you like mind explaining some of that, right? Because I think a lot of people understand, right? Like, you know, be present, be in the moment. Like, that's something people have heard before. But I think the the way you kind of came to understand depression towards the end of the book is really, like, enlightening of, like, mm. the nuance of the philosophy. Sure. So there is an author, Parker J. Palmer, who wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak, which is a, one of my favorite books. And um, I was lucky enough to connect with him, and he wrote the endorsement for my book and read it and you know, that A is a huge thing. But in his book, he talks about this idea that really resonated with me over the years of depression as our true selves last ditch effort of telling us that we need to change something that we're doing. And um, I think it's worth noting also that there are chemical conditions that people have that, you know, influence our mental health. And so what I'm speaking to is not necessarily that, but the experience of depression that a lot of us have in our lives of being hopeless or, you know, feeling brain fog or not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, just the more experiential symptomatic parts of depression, which uh, can be, can describe either chemical depression or what I call spiritual depression. So for me, the evolution of depression was really from this thing that was just awful and felt really bad to something that was really beautiful and offered a gift of teaching me something that I really needed to learn. And every time that I've found that I have been depressed in life, eventually I've come out of it and realized that I was avoiding some truth that I really needed to face in my life. And a lot of that has to do with just choosing myself and choosing my own life path instead of looking to avoid it. And that's been huge over and over again. That's when depression comes up. So I've kind of, kind of learned to take depression on as a teacher. And also, definitely, I'm still an imperfect human being, and I don't love being depressed now either. <laughs> it's it's not the best, but there's an aspect of of equanimity, which means to kind of be with what is and not push it away and be at peace with what is that I think is really valuable in the face of, of darkness. It's, it's not succumbing to the darkness, but it's also not avoiding it. It's just being with it and learning what there is to learn and taking it slow if you need to. I think you tell a few good stories of some of those more dramatic U-turns you make kind of in response to depression. Do you mm -hmm. mind sharing some of those, whether it's going to Asia or quitting your dream job, either one of those, just the, the, the context, the decision, and some of the things sure. that came after? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll share about quitting my dream job because there's some practical wisdom in there. So after college, I got a, my dream job at this startup and I was working as a coach with college students and also leading outdoor adventures and building community. And those are all things that I love to do. And I never really expected to get a job like this, but I did. And it was awesome. And I thought that it would be something that I would really want to do for the rest of 
my life or for a while anyway. But while I was there, I had a morning practice of just meditating every morning. And one of the things that I kept noticing when I meditated is that I had this anxiety coming up every day uh, in my chest. It was just this small little tickle of, hey, Phelan, something is not quite right here. Uh, you should investigate that. And so, you know, day after day, I sat with myself with this anxiety and just started to wonder, is this my dream job or is it just the dream job that I had on paper? And so after like a few months of that, I used some other journaling or self-investigative methods to get to the bottom of what I really needed to do. And, and for me, those are journaling, writing voice memos to myself. And then the last one is, is playing music and just letting words come come out of me and then recording them and, and seeing what I said. And so I ended up writing this song to me, and this is not actually in the book, but I wrote this song to myself and in it, I said something like, I need to leave. Like, this isn't what I'm here to do on this earth. And, and it was a really stark contrast because I had gotten to the point in my life where I had had my dream job, I'd gotten where I wanted to go, and, but it wasn't really what I needed. And so at that point I quit my dream job and uh, went and traveled around and, you know, was homeless, didn't know where I was going. I had like $700 in my bank account at this point, And I really was the happiest I've ever been, <laughs> which is kind of insane. But just the, the power of choosing myself and choosing to follow my intuition and trust myself in that situation, to leave everything behind for this, this uh, small whisper of, hey, that's, that's not right go write a book. And that was really powerful. And, you know, looking back, I, it's hard to say if it was like the right or the wrong decision to leave. Cause I don't know if there are right or wrong decisions, but one thing that's really interesting is just looking at photos of myself from the week before I left and the week after I left that job, my eyes were so much brighter and I just looked so much more alive. And so I think, you know, going back to live life fully, that's a good marker of that being done. I think the photo effect, I'm not having a clever, t t clever title for it right now, but I've definitely had similar things where I've like looked at, you know, kind of in my head, had my own hypothesis, right, about like my state of mind or state of life during a period of like during a specific period of life where I was in a set of circumstances and like, you know, retroactively I have this opinion, you know, when I was in this circumstance and doing this habit all the time or whatever, I was much happier than I was in this situation. And then being able to check the photos, like check the receipts is so powerful because you can just see those like biomarkers of just like, that looks like a healthier person than that person, right? This one's older, yeah. but he still looks happier than that guy. And it's like, these were the differences. These were the big differences between those two periods of time. So that's interesting. I've never had anyone else ever point that out. But I've definitely like noticed that in, in some context before. So that's super interesting. Yeah, really important. I like what you say about the bio, just actually seeing, is this a healthy version of me? That's really a good way of looking for evidence. Kyle, were you, what were you going to jump in and say earlier, or is it, did we kind of move past it to something yeah, different? No, we, well, I was going to talk about Amor Fati, which is not merely to bear what is necessary, but to love it, which is a coin that Lewis gave me actually a couple of years ago that it came with me um, everywhere. So hmm. I think all of this sort of is like circling around like the decision point. Like one thing that I really like and that I talked about with Danny Miranda on our podcast with him, I think that might've been number 50 is like when you perceive anything, like when you look at a tree, like you can decide whether or not that tree is like 
ugly or beautiful, right? And like, if you decide that it is one way or the other, the way that you perceive it like impacts your like blood and your brain and it changes you. And like, and mm-hmm. when you see that in the future, like it's like, it, it's, it's, it's like continues, you know, it's continuum continually growing. And I think this in the same way, like you're kind of talking about depression, but also, you know, just life in general. And, and like what you come to is a decision point where you can either say, okay, I'm going to leave this job. Okay. I'm going to uh, write this book. And like, for me, the hard part is what comes after that decision point. And so I want to talk a little bit about the decision point and then like the anxiety and the like uncertainty that comes after you have hit that decision point. So like, let's take, for example, the book that you've written into in within this context is like, okay, you know, first of all, the decision point, And then after that, you've got two years of writing a book. And it's like, that's all difficult to do. That's not an easy mm-hmm. thing to, to continue to decide every day. You know, this is what your life needs to be, or your energy needs to be like poured into. And so that's a lot of words might not make sense, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. I'm hearing you're asking of commitment, perseverance, those questions, like after you make a decision, how do you stick with it basically? Yeah. yeah. I mean, distilled for sure. That's uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was just listening, just listening to a podcast today uh, interviewing Andy Grammer, who is a musician. And one of the things he said really resonated with me, and I'm just going to steal his answer here, which is that there's a, a point in time when you have to just go like balls to the wall and swing for the fences in whatever you're doing as an entrepreneur, or as an artist. Like If you're going to create your own life path, you have to do it all the way, and you can't just hold back. And it's almost like you know, burn the bridges, you know? So at the same time I quit my, my job, I also withdrew an acceptance from another corporate job. Right. And like, I couldn't, I had no option, but to follow through with this almost. So that's one thing that's really good to do just logistically. And then beyond that, Andy Grammer talks about this idea of you have to be doing the thing that you're really here to do. So you have to be following the passion and the purpose. And something that a lot of artists talk about is this idea of really channeling something bigger than yourself into the world as opposed to doing it yourself. Because, you know, I look at my book and it, it is my story, but there, when I was actually writing it, there were hours when I would just enter into flow state and then look back and have this chapter that I had written and have no idea where it came from, you know? And especially with the, the fundamentals of the ideas in the book, you know, like they kind of came from beyond me in, in a way. So the answer to your question is kind of twofold. One, make your environment support you in doing whatever it is that you've committed to, uh, surround yourself with the right kind of people, get a coach, make your alarm go off at the right time in the morning, like get rid of distractions, right? Like all that stuff. And that also includes doing the habits that make you an energetic and focused human being. So running, exercising, eating well, drinking water, right? All that stuff. And then on the other side of it, it's like, is this actually for you? You know? And if it's not, you're probably going to give up. And that's okay. And it's not, it doesn't mean you're not a good person. It doesn't mean you're not able to persevere, right? Like before I wrote this book, I didn't finish a ton of things that I started, right? Like I started my own podcast and let that ball drop. I started writing a blog. I let that drop. I started a newsletter, let that drop. Right. And it's just, there are certain things that really resonate with who we are as human beings. And that makes it a lot easier to 
persevere through the challenges because there are challenges in everything we face. And then I guess the, the last thing would just be, you know, I wrote this book, you know, initially kind of for me as a way to process through things and just figure out what I thought, answer the question for myself. Um, but that was the easy part was writing it. The hard part for me was editing it and going back and doing all of the design and making sure that there was the right amount of space between each line and all of those nitty gritty detail things. And, and at that point, the purpose of the, the endeavor shifted from an internal thing. Like I want to do this for me to an external thing. I think this could help people. And so I'm doing this as an act of service for the world, right? Like books are not something you make a lot of money with usually, right? I make a $1.47 per hardcover sale, I think. And so it's not something that I'm really like, I'm not in the business of becoming a millionaire through writing this book. It's more like I have a story and I know a lot of people are suffering and, and I want to see if I can help. And so that's a really big way to stay inspired too, I've found. Yeah, I love that answer. Um, I'll have to re-listen to that to, to ingest it fully. But I wanted to touch uh, on Parker J. Palmer on his endorsement of your book. Uh, what, how did that feel when you when you read it? And yeah, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I just read it? And sure. then I can tell you? That would okay. be very helpful. Because mm -hmm. I think... Okay, Parker is an author and an activist and um, a professor, and he's just a really amazing guy. And he's 83 now. So he said, at, 80, at age 82, I was not sure how well a 24-year-old could answer the question, why live? By the time I'd read a few chapters of this wonderfully well-written work, my caution was replaced by admiration and trust. In his few years on Earth, Phelan Sugarman Lash has explored life so deeply and well that seekers of all ages can learn from him. Whether they are members of his generation who face a very uncertain future, or members of mine who have more past than future. Phelan has powerful, real-life stories to tell, and he tells them well. From those stories, he extracts insights that I found helpful and affirming, even though his life experiences are different from mine. If why live is a question that has crossed your mind, I believe you will find this book helpful. I also believe that this first book will not be Phelan's last. So, to answer your question, it's a pretty awesome endorsement, right? And I think it, you know, it, it means the world to have someone who is a mentor of mine and someone who I really look up to, who changed my life, who's 83 years old, write something like that. Because as an entrepreneur, as an author, as a coach, it's so easy for me to fall into these, these cycles of not believing in myself, of imposter syndrome, especially as someone who, and I'm just going to be really honest about this because I think it's important to be vulnerable about like, you know, I'm not perfect. I feel lost as a human being. Sometimes I don't really know what I'm doing. Sometimes I feel depressed still sometimes. Right. And as someone who wrote a book called why live or as someone who is a life coach, right. I help people professionally feel comfortable in their lives and love what they do. And I don't always feel comfortable in my life or love what I do. And so there's this element of like, not believing in myself and getting an endorsement like Parker's is directly affirming to the life that I'm living and the choices that I'm making. And it, it means so much for people to believe in me the same way it means so much when clients choose to pay me month after month and really, you know, they, they benefit from what I do. And one of the biggest things that I've found to sustain myself on this path is and this goes back to your last question is just, you know, if people believe in me, 
I can't just let them down by not believing in myself. Yeah, well, I think I I mean the endorsement right I was going to like read the book anyway for lots of reasons, but like reading the endorsement I was like I think I had it, you know, it was like I was going to read your, this other book and then I was going to finish it. And then it like it made me stop the book I was reading, read your book and come back to the other book I was reading cuz like, you know, I did some research on I'm forgetting this name cuz there's a lot of authors I wasn't familiar with him beforehand. I like read about him and like saw he had his own huge cult following for like his I'm gonna call it expertise and because it's like spir- expertise and like the spiritual realm is like an interesting it's an interesting concept. So that's 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 the air mm-hmm. quotes. But like his cult following and respect for like his spiritual wisdom, and then just like him unloading like that on your book in a good way. I was like, oh wow, and made me kind of just like stop and read your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really really powerful. One question I have for you, and one of the things I found most. I guess, enjoyable, remarkable, or like, uh, motivating about your book was just what you're talking about right there. And you gave a glimpse of like your vulnerability and sharing, you know, a lot of the, the darker parts of your story and like the, like the, not the highlight reel and the, the real struggles in like a very raw and authentic and true way. And I think that I'm sure you have a better answer to most of your clients and like, you know, just rip off the bandaid and just like, you know, tell your biggest secret to the person you care about most, right? Like I'm sure you, how do you kind of guide people on the path towards like, being a more vulnerable person, sharing like more of the things they're hesitant to share about like kind of walk that line. Because I think that's like one of the things about you that probably makes people comfortable with you, probably makes your story credible. Uh, but, and probably again, something that was really key to a lot of the healing you experienced was like crossing that line of like those different points of re- revelation to other people. So how do you guide other people through that journey? Whether that's like formal coaching exercises or just like general thoughts on the subject. Yeah. Great question. Vulnerability is so important for our human well-being. Brene Brown talks a lot about this as vulnerability being the antidote for shame. And we have a lot to be ashamed about sometimes in our lives. You know, we're not perfect human beings. And when we're asked to live in this society, we're asked to live up to the expectations of being perfect often. So being vulnerable really just means being truthful. And I think that I'm going to just change your question a little bit and talk about being truthful because I think that that's a really powerful thing that I work on with clients. And it it often comes from this process of people don't tell other people the truth because they're afraid of what's going to happen, right? So I was just talking to a friend the other day who I really look up to and I realized while I was talking to him that if I, he's very successful. And so I was like, I'm not, I mean, I've written a book, but I'm not to his level of success. And I realized that I was judging myself and therefore projecting onto him, his judgment of me, because I didn't feel that I was as successful as him. And so that creates a rift in the relationship between us. And I realized that I needed to just say that to him. I needed to say, Hey, I actually don't feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm enough in this relationship. And saying something like that is extremely challenging. There's this feeling, you know, anytime you're being vulnerable of like almost overcoming this little hump and just saying the damn thing. Right. And he received it so beautifully. And he was like, no, of course not. Right. Like we're friends. I love you. We're You're awesome. And, and, uh, that is just, that's the, the output of being vulnerable. And so you asked specifically, like, how do I help clients through that process? And a lot of it comes from doing the inner work and figuring out why are they afraid? And often that comes from 
you know, we've all experienced rejection of our authentic, most true and real self. And that sometimes can create the story that we are not worthy or lovable as who we really are. And that can happen from our parents. It can happen from, you know, for me, I asked out some people in middle school and they said no. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm not worthy of going out with anyone as who I am. So I better figure out who to be so that they'll say yes, right? And that's a big issue in our society is trying to be someone who we're not so that the world will accept us. And that's kind of the the essence of of truth and vulnerability as the antithesis of it is that we try to be someone who we're not so that the world accepts us. And really what it comes down to is knowing that when we are our true, authentic, vulnerable selves, it actually is going to push some people away, but it's going to pull other people and opportunities toward us. And that's where it becomes really crucial is it's almost the more vulnerable, the more real you can be as a human being. It's like creating this gravitational pull of the right opportunities toward you. And so with clients, it's a lot of mindset work. It's a lot of going into their past traumas and figuring out where their fear is and then bringing that into the present moment and saying, okay, what do you long for in your life? And how can you actually attract that just by being who you are? And that's a really powerful question. Yeah, I think one of the more profound realizations that really clicked for me, I'm not sure entirely like which episode of the podcast it was, uh, but it was just, you know, understanding that a lot of like problems in adult life, and it's like such a simple thing to state, but like when it clicks, it really like resonates is that so many of these problems in adult life are just like, you know, a, a defense mechanism from childhood that you haven't shed. Yeah. And it's just like absolutely. really, really easy to say, really, really difficult to identify, really difficult to change. And then, you know, that's kind of where a coach or a therapist or, you know, or just a friend, right? There's a lot of ways you uncover these things or solo with the journal or kind of the music. Anyway, uh, lots of ways to get to it. We, we kind of left a bookmark in the, the narrative, you could call it of this podcast, mm. like not that we, again, are attached to a narrative, but you quit your dream job, you mm. travel the world, you only have $700 in your bank account. That was, you know, not yesterday, right? And you made it through today. So presumably you found some other thing to do that's like kept you sustained to make it this far since then. Uh, <laughs> long way of saying you didn't, you know, you, you did the tip, you did the hard thing. You didn't have much money. You didn't die. What were your, this is, you can take this as a business question. You can take it all sorts of ways, but what did you do to make money to support yourself after quitting this job without having to take another route? How did you start your coaching business, get clients, those kind of initial steps that have carried you to where you are now? Sure. Let's see. How do I want to answer this question? I think that the most important thing to do as an entrepreneur is to commit to yourself that you're going to do it no matter what and not give up. And I, it's really useful to enforce a time frame on that. So say, I'm not going to give up for six months. You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to do this for six months. And so that's something I did when I first started writing my book. And I actually did four months, but I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do this for four months. And same with coaching. When I first started coaching, I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this. And from July of 2020 to January of 2021 was my first like six month chunk of just going for it. And there is an element of taking whatever comes with that. That's really shitty sometimes. Um, but one of the things that's that's really kept me going through this journey as an entrepreneur is just reading the Buddha's story and seeing how 
when he was on his spiritual journey, he got rid of everything he owned and went and lived in a forest with the aesthetic aesthetics and just lived on a grain of rice a day. And obviously I have not done that, but there's this idea of as low, get as low as you can go so that you know you're okay. Right. And that's kind of something that I faced, right? There's been moments where I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. And so now, as long as I know where I'm going to sleep and I have internet, like I can show up and do what I'm here to do. So that's been part of it, just mindset wise. To answer the business side of your question, I wouldn't say I'm very good at this yet. I think it's something I'm still learning how to do. I really, really think I'm good at the internal work. And I think that that comes out naturally into the external world, right? So when I get clients, it's often just because they come and talk to me and then they feel seen for the first time in years, you know, or cry for the first time in a long time. And that element of feeling so accepted is often all it takes for people to want to work with. In terms of getting them in the door, it's a lot of referrals, reaching out to different groups that I'm in, asking for people who I know to pass along my information. I'm building email lists now, you know, people who read the book might work with me. I don't know, I'm definitely in the beginning phases of that still. And and I put a lot of the business growth on the back burner while I was writing my book. So that's kind of the project these days. I have a quote from the book. I think that's you know, again, a very, another transparent answer. And, you know, the way you describe that, even just, I don't know how you turn, I'm very, like, I hate to like turn things. It's, it's an interesting territory, kind of like taking emotional things or very like deeply personal things. And like, you know, how do I commodify that into like a sales resource? You know what I mean? That's like, kind of feels yeah. like a sketchy thing, but it's like, even just that soundbite of you being like, you know, when people, you know, they're crying for the first time in a long time and blah, like all of those like things that, like, are actually, like, very, very significant. Like, hearing that is, like, you know, you know, and then hearing that from someone else, right? Like, obviously, you're trustworthy and whatever else, but, like, hearing that from the person who actually says that the first time, like, that's really, I think you have the retention piece in place, and that's really, really powerful, and the referrals will continue to come. Mm. Uh, one quote that you make twice in the book is the Jewish proverb about planting a sapling. I think mm. it might be one of the only quotes you repeat, and I think like the meaning of it is non-obvious to me. Do you mind sharing what that quote is? And then, and then I have one other quote I want to ask about after this. And then those are all the quotes I prepared for this. So we'll be doing different content than quotes. Sure. But the Jewish I'm proverb, I can read the I quote if that makes remember. it easier. Okay. Awesome. So I <laughs> go for it. Yeah. When the Messiah comes and you hold a sapling in your hands, first plant the sapling and then go to greet the Messiah. Why is Kyle laughing over here? He's got this mm. quote tattooed on him somewhere I've never seen or something. No, I was laughing because he just like threw the book down and it made a loud noise. That yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. So this quote laid the foundation for my book. Lewis, Very can you read it one more time? I apologize. Yeah, book slapstick humor, right? It's uh, overwhelming. But uh, <laughs> when, when, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes and you hold a sapling in your hands, first plant the sapling and then go to greet the Messiah. So this book I found, or this quote I found in a book called The Overstory which is a beautiful story that really left me sad about the future of our world in terms of climate change and and what's left for our generation kind of to face. And it left me feeling hopeless. I don't think that was the author's intent, but it's what happened. And this quote, uh, you know, before you go to the Messiah, plant the tree, then go, really illustrates for me kind of the purpose of humans on this earth and, and what we're here to do which is we all are alive, right? And, and why, what do we do with this life we have? 
And I think the Messiah for me represents death. It represents going to heaven or to whatever is next for us. I don't, whatever people believe, right? And so that begs the question of like, what is planting the sapling and putting it from your hands into the earth? And for me, the, the cash out of that is that we each have different gifts to offer to the world. And only by each offering our unique and authentic gifts to the world will this like weave woven fabric of you know what needs to happen happen and so this quote means that we each need to figure out what our sapling is and then do the work to plant it before we die which basically means figure out what our gifts are and offer them to the world before we die and i think that that is complicated and ever-changing but is also simple and pretty straightforward too yeah, well, that's that's a good segue. Third quote here, final quote for me that I want to ask about is the Michael Pollan quote. Michael Pollan is a very interesting person. But the quote is that the mystical journey seems to offer a graduate education in the obvious. So there's a lot of directions to kind of take the question about that quote. Uh, and this is kind of a theme we've been touching on a lot of times. It's like, how do you get people to take action on or like internalize the truth? It's just like, a lot of these things, right? Like that's the whole genre we operate in with like podcasts and advice is like, you know, very rarely are you telling people things they haven't heard before. Very rarely are you like presenting a, a truly new idea. It's just like your job is to like facilitate people accepting reality and like doing things about that. So you can kind of take this wherever you'd like to run with it and maybe choose to share however much context around the quote or not. But what was the purpose, I guess, of it? I guess a good way to like start you with this question is what was the purpose of including that quote in the book? Great question. And I like all of the framing around what you asked. So that quote is speaking to psychedelic experiences, which are different like plant medicines, like mushrooms, psilocybin or, or LSD or ketamine is one kind of, you know, basically the mystical experience is something that gives us access to some, I don't know. It's hard to describe some divine, some God, some meaning beyond what we, can put into words. And so this, this quote offers a graduate education in the obvious. It just really, it was funny to me in terms of what psychedelics offer. And it's like, oh, of course that tree is the most beautiful thing in the entire world. But like, did I notice that yesterday? No. Did I notice that after my mystical experience? Yes. And there's this, so to kind of convert into answering your question, there is a beauty in being in integrity with yourself and making a commitment to living your life the way that you really want to, that is obvious, but requires a ton of work. And the word integration is coming up for me as something to offer. So with psychedelics, you do the experience. It's often very meaningful for people. And then after comes this, this integration time where you have to take whatever you learned and really put it into action. And that is, a macrocosm like psychedelics are huge experiences mystical experiences but it comes down to this podcast right so there's a question of what as a listener is one thing that you're going to commit to doing differently in your life from this point forward and answering that question and it could be as simple as i'm going to tell one true thing to my parent who i haven't told it to before or to my partner right or it could be, I'm going to start writing the first page of my book. And this goes into atomic habits and just like start small with your habits to make them, you know, roll forward. But yeah, when you talk about 
accepting reality and then doing something with it, it's often the hardest part is like accepting reality. And then after that, it's just like, okay, well now that that's real for you, what do you need to do about that? And then asking a question around commitment and what do you need to commit to, to stay in integrity to who you are? Yeah, that's great. How do you help people to believe in themselves? Hmm. Drop the mic on that question. Great, great question. And something bringing back the vulnerability that, you know, I still struggle with too sometimes. And I think that it comes down to the fact that at our cores, I think we all believe in ourselves. I mean, it's really uncovering the layers of self-doubt that have been built by different traumatic experiences we've gone through. And I use that word trauma very generally just to as any negative influence basically in our lives that we haven't processed yet. And so it, it often comes down to this word self love, which is underneath all of the trauma underneath all of the, the doubt and the stories is this self love that I think is evident for each person. And when people love themselves, they believe in themselves. It's kind of hard not to. And so that's one way, which is kind of the spiritual answer. And then the more practical answer, and there's, there's always like spirituality and practicality in life, I think, and they really need to happen together to make the life that you really want to live happen and to feel alive in it. So the practical answer is just try stuff, right? You know, as you know, being in this podcast, hosting this podcast is that you've probably gotten a lot of no's when you've reached out to people to be on the podcast, but you've also gotten some yeses, right? And so I think there's just an element of do something a lot of times and fail at it to learn that you're going to fail, but that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that failure happens and it's a natural part of the process. So just, yeah, almost like reps is a good way to build. It's funny. I have a good example of that. This weekend I went to a conference and was tabling and I was giving away free t-shirts and it's like, you know, a lot of people say no. (laughs) And it's like, it's sort of this like micro, um, I don't know how to, how to, what word it is. Like a challenge. It's like a lot of no's. A lot of people are saying no's Mm -hmm. and you have to keep being convincing and you have to, the next person that walks by, you have to be like, uh, Mm -hmm. you have to believe in yourself. And when, and I did notice that like, if I believed that I was going to get somebody to get a shirt, they were going to take a shirt and there's no other way around it. Uh, and so it's just a funny little, um, you know, microcosm experience that I had recently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that r- really like I totally agree with everything you just said I think and I, I like the um, the point about there's like spirituality and practicality and I think doing only one of those things or answering only one side of that question is dangerous for people and I, I that's Super. a question that I have for you is like you know with all of these things are, are really good but I feel like they're like there is a a way of life where you die, you almost think too hard or you, you, you know, consider these things so much so that it actually starts negatively impacting you. And so, you know, would you say that's true? And, and I don't know, I don't really have a question buried in there. It's more Mm. just like, what do you think about that? Yeah. Great question. (laughs) There is a question in there, I think, which is, do I, experience like overthinking things and do I see other people doing that and what what are my thoughts about that and the answer is yes definitely it's something I did a lot more when I was younger and actually you know going back to the Michael Pollan quote my first experience with psychedelics was on mushrooms and it 
the biggest thing that it taught me was to not overthink things. There's this, this aspect of, I mean, I can just share the story. It's in my book. Basically I took them in the summer and up until this point, I had always been someone who ruminated and overthought stuff. And that led to these cycles of depression and just staying stuck in whatever I was because I was thinking too much and not just doing what I wanted or, or what felt right. And with psychedelics, it's the feeling is almost like, I mean, it, it's gone two ways for me. They're like, you get anxious and think too much or you don't think at all, basically. <laughs> That's what, what I've experienced. And the distance between like the impulse and the, the action is much shorter. So on that trip, I basically like was running around the woods and climbing trees and throwing rocks. And I was very in my body. And that I think is a crucial piece here is the mind body, like dichotomy or false dichotomy, I guess. But in our society, we're very rational people, very brain oriented system. And I think that that's where this overthinking comes in and our bodies kind of know what we need, right? We, we have intuition in our bodies. We have sadness in our bodies. We have the need to laugh or the need to cry. Right. And a lot of times we can just trust that. And then, and, and just another thing I want to throw in here is like, I think that the, the highly successful, like business person has done a lot of like practical successful things, but is usually pretty unhappy. On the other hand, like the monk who's living in a cave all by themselves, who might say that they're happy actually has no interaction with the world. And so they've done the spiritual thing, but not the practical connection. And so it really comes at the, the connection, right? I think that's just the point of, of all of this is like, yes, there's overthinking, but it's also good to think. And then there's like, yes, there's underthinking, but it's also good to just act sometimes. And like at the, it's nuanced, right? There's never a right answer, but the more closely that we can trust ourselves, the easier it gets to trust that it's right around the right amount of thinking or the right amount of not thinking to go forth and do whatever it is that we want to do. I don't know if that answer fully made sense. Kyle's like muted, he was nodding. Yeah, no, uh, I, I really like that. Let's go ahead. And that uh, something. last, the uh, last piece of that explanation really like had a lot of overlap with uh, what our mutual friend Jackson says in terms of like the monk versus the businessman. And I was like hearing you say that, and I'm like, makes sense why you two get along. That's like mm. very much his philosophy, yeah. right? It's like trying to be that that happy balance between the Zen and the the practical. Uh, I want to give you a a freebie for one other book that has not been brought up yet. That's also a story that's left a lasting impression. Hmm. Just one. <laughs> um, You're not never limited. The one that comes. I'm to not mind. saying never limited. Okay. The one that comes to mind is The Alchemist first. That's been the most personally impactful book probably for me. And the only other one that I just love this book is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And both books are really centered around the journey to accepting and being your true self. What is your phone lock screen? If mm. it's not anything... Uh private it shouldn't be if it's the, the public uh, well, my phone is, screen my phone is turned off but my phone screen right now is my book cover it's just the mm. reminder and inspiration that like hey you did that don't give up on it hey you did that don't give up on yourself hey you did that go go talk about it how much different of a person are you now versus um when you were a freshman in college and can you compare and contrast both <laughs> practically and spiritually uh those two people 
Found, sure. um, what you say to that is I'll only answer that question if you answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's tricky to know who I am at any point in time in life. But I think when I first started college, I didn't believe in myself. Um, I had a lot of lingering, like, I thought I was a chubby fat kid. I didn't think I was cool. I didn't think I could do anything with my life. Like, I was depressed. I wanted to drop out of school. And at the same time, I was still me, right? I was still a goofball. I still liked to go hiking. I still liked to sing and go outside and not wear shoes, right? Like, all there are a lot of the things that make me me were there still, but I just wasn't as confident in myself, I guess. And then the other thing is, you know, going through my darkness, going through suicidal ideation, going through multiple bouts with depression, being an entrepreneur, writing a book, like, I've also just done a lot of failing, honestly, and a lot of learning has come from that, and just, like, running myself into walls over and over again, and then seeing how to get around them, has led me to a sense of humility that I'm really grateful for these days. I used to believe it's really interesting, actually. When I was a freshman, I didn't have self-confidence, but I thought I was right about everything. And now I do have self-confidence and I know that I'm not right about everything. And it helps me to show up in conversations looking to learn as well as being confident in things that I can offer. Because I think it, it's a lot more real than I used to be. I used to pretend and that pretending was easier to believe in, um, honestly, than the real me but the belief that I have now is a lot stronger and deeper. I was also a fat kid. What, uh, what, um, I guess like trauma, do you think that imbues on the rest of your life? Cause I, you know, mm. I think that I've done a lot of things cause I was a fat kid that I wouldn't have done. Mm. And I think it's had a profound impact on my life. How, how would you, yeah. how would you quantify that? And like, how do you think about that from like a, a coaching perspective, not coaching me, I guess, but like, that is a problem that a lot of people have, and mm. I don't think it's ever talked about, really. Yeah. I'm going to answer your question, and I'm going to zoom it out, too. So, to me, being... Like, I look at photos of myself from back when I was that age, and, like, I was chubby, but I don't know. I wasn't fat, but I thought I was really fat. And that that piece of, like, shitting on ourselves is really pervasive, right? So not everyone is chubby as a kid, but everyone is something, you know, except for those like few really lucky people who escape this. And I think the that what you're jazz. asking is more of a question. Yeah, literally <laughs> your, your question is, is around, um, trauma really. And like, what do we do with it? And what does it make us do? And I think that when we have the courage to face our trauma, it's really empowering, right? Like how you said there are things that you never would have done if you weren't fat. Another way of saying that is there are things that you never would have learned how to overcome if you didn't have to, right? And so just the the sheer determination to overcome something is a really huge gift to oneself. And as we move through our trauma, we learn to accept it as something that makes us special right overcoming it gives us skills and there's a, a concept of the hero's journey by joseph campbell who is someone who used to study uh, mythology and star wars is based on this so there's an example for people but basically you have to like leave your town for some reason 
and then you go on this big quest and you find a mentor and you face like challenges and eventually you get to the pits of despair where you have to overcome like yourself basically and keep going and then you slay a dragon and then you come back home and you share the dragon loot with your town and that to me is the battle of trauma right when we have trauma in our lives we have to go out into the world face it face ourselves find mentors and then find the gift of the trauma and bring it back and give it to the world and um yeah so that's that answer i also can talk about just specifically being chubby and what that does for self-image or self-confidence and stuff but i think it's i think kyle wants a few of those specifics bigger question (laughs) yeah no i think no i i thought that was a good answer and i'm familiar with the hero's journey and i uh for people who you know i've never heard of it before it's you encounter it every single day pretty much like it's it's almost like the bible and how pervasively uh its fingerprints are over you know media and stories and and as a framework for understanding things it's really really good yeah agreed I'm feeling there's a lot of wisdom demonstrated by those last two answers and the whole podcast in general. I think uh, lots of people will be interested in checking out your book based on all the things they've heard today. What's the full title? What's the best, easiest way to find it? It's going to rank a number one on Google and people don't have to memorize a website or, do they, or should they just go on Amazon and start there? What's, what's the, the path? Sure. Yeah, so the full title of my book is called Why Live? The Beautiful and Painful Mess of Learning to Love Life. And uh, the easiest way to find it is to Google why live book or go to my website, phalan.com, F-A-O-L-A-N.com slash why dash live. And then I also am just going to promote my coaching, which is at uh, soflow.co. And if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, that is at grow.soflow.co. And soflow is spelled S-O-W-F-L-O-W.co. Spit on the hoodie for the the people fortunate enough to be watching on video. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Phelan. This has been really fun, uh, a little much more structured than our typical conversation. So I enjoyed that. And uh, again, I really enjoy the book. Have tons more thoughts we didn't get into. Your poetry I thought was really interesting and something like a whole dimension to you I mm. you know did not know about prior to reading and really appreciated from the book. So that's another thing for people to look forward to. So you know, thank you for sharing your gifts with the world in this book with us on this podcast and everything else. Appreciate it a ton. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And you know, this is you sharing your gifts. So there's Kyle. Thank you both for having me and thank you for doing this work and showing up in the world and being who you are. That wraps up this conversation with Phelan. I had a great time. You know, you talk with friends uh, all the time casually, but when you really sit down and are super intentional about it and, you know, have to write out like all the questions you want to ask and all the things you want to discuss and like making a meeting agenda, the conversation is a whole lot more constructive than when you're just calling someone casually. Uh, so it's always fun to bring someone I know on the podcast personally, and then end up having like one of the best conversations we've had. Three takeaways from me. First one, I uh, really like the subtle tip about setting this phone lock screen. Uh, first of all, that's a great question to ask people. I think it reveals a lot. Like what's the thing you choose to see 80 times a day and take with you everywhere. Uh, so that's just like in general, something I should continue asking on the show. Uh, and then I love the idea of making it something positive to remind him of the wins. You know, that's a huge project. He's been pouring his life into it since basically I met him two years ago. And to finally have that realized, I think, you know, ride the wave and remind yourself you've done some cool things instead of always focusing on the next thing. Uh, I like that quite a bit. And I think that's a very actionable takeaway is being very intentional about what your phone lock screen is and what the psychological benefits setting it the right way can do for you. Second one uh, is a calm presence. Fallon's done 
Fallon. Fallon's done a ton of inner work uh, over the years. And I think a lot of people like don't know why they should do inner work. Cause it's not super, you know, go to the gym, right. You look better. Uh, you do inner work. Do you necessarily look better? Uh, but I think Phelan's one of those people who's done so much inner work and so much reflection. And that's really, really evident if you take the time to read his book. Uh, but the outward effect of that is just that calm presence, that demeanor of like someone who's like spiritually calm and centered. I don't know. That sounds a bit woo woo, but he just has a very different energy than the, uh, average person that we hear on this podcast, different in that calm presence type of way, right? Third takeaway is Phelan's full send energy in the story and just his intuition, right? He quit a job that was actually, you know, his dream job, but it wasn't because his intuition was off. And he kind of just did a lot of things that did not know what the next steps would be or how exactly they'd work out, but he said what he wanted to do and he went for it. I think, you know, there's always an argument to both sides of that. And there's never anyone who can fully describe to you how to strike that balance. But I think some people, especially people who listen to podcasts are far too analytical and overthink things very often. You know, if you're even asking the question, am I overthinking this? You're probably overthinking it. Otherwise you wouldn't need to ask yourself if you were, which is clearly overthinking. Anywho, Phelan's very intuitive, very good example of inspiring full send energy that I hope you take with you after finishing this episode. That's all I have to say for this one. Make sure you're subscribed so you know about the next one when it comes out in a week or take a look at our sponsor, Espresso Displays, portable second monitors. I absolutely love mine. Use it, I think, every single day, whether I'm home or traveling. A lot of people don't take their monitors with them, but I do because I have an espresso. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, if you can't wait till, till next week, we've got like 100 other episodes in the bank that you can go back and watch. And they're all just as good as this one, I promise. See you later. Bye-bye.